I invite you to be seated, and as you are, you can open up your Bibles with me to John's Gospel in the 10th chapter, and we're going to be looking at verses 14 to 21. John 10, verses 14 to 21. And this is what we read. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. And this charge I received from my father. Well, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, said, these are not the words of one who's oppressed by a demon. And can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Which you remember Jesus did in the previous chapter. Let's pray together. Father, I do ask you now that you would make the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you. It's good to see all of you today. And this morning in the text that I read, a number of verses I also read last week, I'm returning to this passage sort of incrementally because there's so much in John 10, but I want to focus on verses 17 and 18. And as a matter of fact, I want to be even more specific. I want to focus on verse 17 and that single word, Because, as when Jesus said, the Father loves me because. But first, I want to lay a foundation from the passage so we can go into this together. He says, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again in this charge I received from the Father. Now, when Jesus said this, there wasn't any question about what, what was going to happen. There's going to be a big reaction. Uh, Jesus was saying about himself something that is true of no other human being and that his detractors and his, his adversaries then assumed could not be true of him. And so uh, some said he was insane. Others said he was demonized, but Jesus himself was driving toward a very different conclusion. And we see it later on in the passage next week, but many of you are familiar with this passage, a very different conclusion, which is that he is the Son of God. He is the Son of God, that he is one with the Father. And he has authority to lay down his life. He has authority to take his life up, up again. Uh, he is... He is one with the Father, that his his will and his purpose, Jesus' will, Jesus' purpose 
Jesus' authority are inseparable from God's will and God's purpose and God's authority. And his will and his purpose and the authority he has is to give you eternal life and to keep you forever, ever, and ever in that life. God's will and purpose in sending Jesus with his authority to lay down his life and to take it up again, as you know, it's bound up with God's saving love, right? John tells us this is how God so loved the world. It's completely bound up with his love that he sent his son. In Jesus, that love is expressed that saves sinners. As Paul put it so shockingly in Romans 4, verse 5, to Christ, this is how God justifies the ungodly. God's love is unsolicited. It is undeserved. It comes from God, who God is. It comes from him. It comes out of who he is. Uh, Paul says, does he not? God demonstrates his love for us in this in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves us you know, freely in saving us. No one in this world ever asked God to send his son to suffer and die for them. God's love was entirely unprompted. And it is this love that justifies It's by this love that justifies, by which God comes to accept us through Christ's atoning sacrifice for our sins. It is by this love that God draws us into a union with himself through our faith in Christ. You know, as Christians, as evangelical Christians, we often speak about a relationship with God through Jesus, correct? But you know, I did a little word study, very simple, you know, a concordance sweep on the internet, No, the Bible never uses, it never once uses the word relationship to describe our relationship with Christ. Why doesn't it use the word relationship? And the answer is, I think, because the word relationship is just too flimsy a term. What the Bible speaks about is an unbreakable, inseparable union with Christ by which we also are united to God. And that this is eternal. It is forever. The union's profoundly personal as well. It's personal for us. But folks, it is personal for God. For in this union, God relates to us as he relates to his own son. And we relate to God as Jesus related to his Father, that is the experience of salvation that we're drawn into this amazing, sorry, relationship. It is a union. It's eternal. It's the most amazing thing we can possibly experience. It's the only thing that, that justifies eternity. And upon this foundation of God's irrevocable, un, 
unbreakable, electing love, he draws us to himself. And God loves us with this love to Christ. So if you ask me the question, what does God's love really consist of? Well, you can't be wrong in answering it this way, that God's love looks like Jesus voluntarily and freeing, freely dying for me, a sinner, taking my guilt upon himself on the cross, suffering the judgment for sin that I deserve to free me from my own condemnation. And then it looks like Jesus rising from the dead to draw me into that union of life with God that he himself enjoys and that is his complete delight. That's what the love of God consists of. But, segue, transition. This is just the beginning of our experience of God's love in coming to this realization and in trusting Christ. And that experience of God's love then grows richer and richer with time as we love God in return. And so our experience of that love and how that love comes to us and how we come to know it in our lives uh, becomes richer and richer. I want you to mark this today. I want you to remember this. Love calls to love. Now we know that. We know that God's love for us evokes our love for God. Love calls to love. We love him because he first loved us. True or false? True, of course. But it is also true that our love for God evokes God's love for us. Just as Jesus' love for God evoked the Father's love for his Son. Which brings me to our focus, Jesus' words. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Because the Father loves me because. That almost sounds heretical, doesn't it? We're so carefully taught that God's love is unconditional. God loves me because of who God is. I believe that's true. And I suppose in reading this verse, we could say, well, Jesus is a special case, obviously, sinless, so God can love him because. But that cannot be true of us. And on that point this morning, this is where I want to push back. This is where I want to push back. As John Piper puts it, sometimes we overextend uh, what we say and teach about uh, God's love. We, we infer, we extrapolate in ways that are unnecessary, maybe even be incorrect. Let me give you a couple of parallel ideas for you to think about. God has always loved Jesus. Isn't that true? Always. God loved Jesus before Jesus ever laid down his life. Ever. 
from eternity past. He loved Jesus. And yet, here Jesus says, God loves me because I may lay down my life. Is he saying, God wouldn't love me or didn't love me until I did this or unless I did that? That's extrapolation. That is not, you don't want to go there. You want to take what the word says at its face value. And he says, God loves me because I lay down my life. And it is not a contradiction for Jesus to exult in the fact that God loved him because he was so completely dedicated to the Father. It is not a contradiction to God's eternal love that Jesus would say, God loves me because I'm so dedicated to his will. I'm so dedicated to obeying him. I'm so determined to be faithful no matter what. And that really is the underlying issue here when Jesus talks about laying down his life and taking it up again. It is his absolute self-dedication to obeying God as his father. A beloved son with a beloved father. And walking and marching that relationship out that union out in his life. And I want to say that the same is true of us. Here's the other parallel. Given that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1.4, given that he predestined us in love for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, Ephesians 1.5, it is also right to say that God has always loved you. God has always loved me. From eternity, God has loved me. And again, it is no contradiction of God's eternal love for us, but part of his eternal love for us to realize also that God loves us because... And for that same underlying reason, that God loves Jesus because it is our love, it is our faithfulness, it is our obedience to him. It affects him deeply. Think about what God said at Jesus' baptism. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased when he came for baptism, on the Sermon on the Mount, when he said, or I'm sorry, on the Mount of Transfiguration, when he said much the same thing. You and I have no authority to lay down our life that we may take it up again. Only Jesus had that authority. His particular obedience was utterly unique. He's the Savior. But his was obedience for love's sake. And to this same obedience, this obedience for love's sake, Jesus calls us as well. To the same obedience for love's sake to the Father. And whatever, and whenever, and in whomever, such obedience is displayed the obedience of love it is true to say God loves because God 
God's love erupts with joy. God delights. God takes pride in his children. They are the apple of his eye. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. God loves a cheerful giver. God delights in those who delight in him. He Honors those who honor him. Our delight in him is seen in our determination to do his will. That's how it's seen. That's how it's proven. That's where it is. It's seen in our determination to serve his purposes. It's seen in our, in our, really, our, our, in, in the self-sacrifice of our lives for the sake of loving God. And the things that we would do or say, and the in the extent to which we would go, where in sacrifice, where we would never go unless we love God. Psalm forty verses seven and eight. David saying, David saying, "Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will." Oh my God, your law is within my heart. And so God delighted in David. Quoting Acts 13, 22, referring back to 1 Samuel 13, I have found David, God said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. Doesn't that sound like I love him because? Solomon would testify To God, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And yet, of course, David was a foreshadow of Jesus, of Christ, and Hebrews applies Psalm 40 to Jesus himself. In fact, Hebrews 5 actually tells us, you don't see it in the Gospels, that Jesus actually said that psalm. It's written in your law, I delight to do your will. He actually said that psalm of himself. You think with me about this. God's loving his own has always been his pleasure. It's always been his pleasure. God loving his own has always been the joy of the saints. Enoch walked with God. Hebrews 11, God took him up that he should not taste death. Why? Because he was so, was so pleased with Enoch. He walked with God. Psalm 16, 3, as for those saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. John Calvin had a stamp, had a seal, a family seal made, with which to seal his letters in wax, and that's how we know that he had it. Maybe we could have the slide turned on. Yes, you can see it there. His family, like you'd think Calvin was, well, a Calvinist, so you'd expect something about the sovereignty of God, right? You'd expect something very, you know, maybe big in his family. No, his family seal was this. It was an arm reaching out and holding a heart up to the divine glory, which is what the the sun rays are representing in the top of the, at the top of the coin. It's a hand reaching out and holding a heart up to God. 
and it's inscribed in Latin with a motto, which in full form translates, I offer my heart to you, O Lord, promptly and sincerely. I offer my heart to you, Lord, promptly and sincerely. Calvin knew all, without a doubt, knew better than anyone probably other than an apostle. He knew of all people that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. He knew better than most people that we are not saved. God does not forgive us based on our efforts, that we don't become righteous through our efforts. He knew we are saved by grace through faith alone. But he also knew, or and, he also knew what God saved him for. To delight God with a faithful and obedient heart expressed obviously in his life. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works which he, prefer, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There was nothing that Calvin would rather live for. There's nothing that he would rather do. He could delight God. He could live and bask in God's pleasure as he obeyed the Lord, as he followed him, as he sacrificed for him. It's relatively easy, I guess, maybe, regrettably easy for us as Christians, I think, to offer what I'll call partial obedience. To pick and choose what commands to obey, to hesitate and procrastinate when the Lord is clearly convicting us and to hold back on doing something we know that we really should do. It's easy for us, regrettably, to be reluctant witnesses for Christ than a fully engaged disciple. But that's not what we're called to. We're not only called to delight ourselves in the Lord, but we're also called to delight him with the love that we have for him, with the way that we serve him, with the way that we live for him. And you say, well, how can I possibly delight him when I'm so, you know, small and uh, when I'm so, well, imperfect and when I, and that throws us back that this this love that is evoked from God comes out of his sovereign electing God electing love for us everything's on the foundation of his grace you know why should I why should I celebrate my 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 grandson uh, toddling you know, like that doesn't look so great does it looks great to me I love that you're trying to do that. I love you for the way you try to do that. I love you for the way you came to me. I love you. I love you because you're so sweet. What's wrong with that? Nothing. Where does it come from? It comes out of a predisposition and determination to love that little boy. The love that elects is not a flat thing. It's responsive. It's effective. It celebrates. It confirms. It encourages. It praises. 
When the great 19th century preacher Robert Murray McShane came to preach our verses this morning, he entitled his message, The Perfect Obedience of Christ. And he observed that it is not only for his Godhead or deity that the Father finds Jesus so lovely, but on account of his manhood through which he laid down his life. God loved him, McShane preached. He loved him for his holy manhood. And you and I know that in his manly obedience, Jesus calls us to obedience similarly as the beloved sons of a beloved father. The greater our pleasure in him, the greater his pleasure in us. The greater our delight in him, the greater his delight in us. This is what we've been saved for, right? To glorify him and enjoy him forever. What is heaven? But that never-ending place in which we are fully pleased with God and God is fully pleased with us. Now, for now and forever, God's love is perfect. But as I said, that does not mean his love is a static thing. In his love, God is responsive. He is effective. It not only is love that justifies, it is love that sanctifies. And it's love that sanctifies by encouraging us with delight, sometimes with grief, sometimes with anger. Encouraging us with blessing, encouraging us with commendation, encouraging us with, with affirmation. Let me say something. We, we teach that we are to live for God's glory, to express our pleasure, our satisfaction, our gratitude to Him. We live for His glory. But I would also say, or suggest to you this day, that do we not also live for His praise of us and His satisfaction? in us, that one day we want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. These are not contradictory ideas. These are two notions, two sides of the same coin. And they are both grounded in God's eternal, sovereign, electing love. Think with me for a moment. What is sanctification after all? But once having been justified, when we were unable not to sin, once having been justified, we are now able not to sin. And our sanctification, now that we are able not to sin, is to live in union with Christ, is it not? It's to be conformed to his image and how we live our lives, in the choices we make, in the sacrifices we freely render, so that when God sees us, he sees his only begotten son more and more. And he responds to us as he responds to his son. If you're more comfortable saying, he responds to his son in us. 
I love him because. Because we are proving that we are happily and delightfully his. So when I look at this passage, I think, well, how do you apply it? We apply it spiritually. That is love for Christ and worship. I mean, if God loves Jesus because he did this, surely that's every reason for us to do so. But when I ask the question, how do we apply this, what I'll call ethically in our lives, we need to understand that the Lord opens the door to us out of his grace to walk in a similar relationship with God and to experience his pleasure and his delight in us. I do think this is where Jesus is headed ultimately as he teaches through the book of John. I'm going to close by just sharing this. This is very much like love because. It's conditional. Jesus said, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. If anyone, keeps, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Beloved, the Lord welcomes us, God welcomes us into a far deeper and richer relationship with him and union with him over time. And I encourage us to think about this text today and what Jesus said. Uh, He loves me uh, because. And I'm not suggesting that you and I run around to each other and say, God loves me because. I mean, imagine the presumption that this can give rise to. However, what I would suggest is that in your prayer and in your worship, you delight in the fact that God delights in you when you, when you do his will for his sake because you love him. And my prayer for you is that you would experience the pleasure of his loving you in the midst of your hard choices and the sacrifices of your life. Why loving me then? He's loving you because. Because this is what you've chosen to do. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and thank you for your word, John chapter 10. And uh, I thank you, Lord, for, for those who have... Uh, the relationship that we can have with you, that we do have with you. Um, This union uh, in which we actually affect uh, one another. Um, In which we're drawn into the knowledge of you uh, more and more uh, through um, the service, the sacrifice, including the sufferings of our lives for Christ's sake. So that, in one sense, the lower we're brought, um, the higher we've come. 
in our relationship with you. You're no man's debtor, Father. Um, I ask you to lift our hearts this day to you. In Jesus' name, amen.